0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another one in our long running series of financial well being podcasts. My name's David Lloyd. Uh, I'm a, who am I? I don't know who I am, really. I'm an actor, I'm a, a writer, a broadcaster, a podcaster. I say a podcaster, it sounds like I do them all the time. This is the podcast on which I'm a podcaster, <laughs> and I'm a general man about town. And every so often, I get together with my two good buddies who are now going to introduce themselves. Tomo, who are you? Um, Tomo. Oh, that's fair enough. Chris, who are you? <laughs> Hang on, I want to do a plug.
1: <laughs> oh, go I've got on, a then. plug to
0: do. Right, do a plug. Do your plug.
1: I'm doing my plug. I am Tom Morris of Ovation Finance, who happened to back this whole project, and I feel as though it's my duty to let you all know about that. We're a lovely, ever-growing company in Bristol who are charter financial planners and help people with their financial plans. So there you go. I've done my advertising slot.
0: I think you should like it because I am, and I'm getting no extra financial incentive for this at all. This is entirely my own opinion. I am, of course, a client of Ovation Finance, and they look after me ever so well. And they help to turn my little pennies into large amounts. Perhaps the most important person on the podcast, well, he thinks he is, and so we'll go along with it. Chris, who are you?
2: So uh, I'm Chris, but I'd like to be a man about town, I think. I like, the, I like that phrase, man about town. David, uh, you're obviously extremely well-known for your many, many acting roles. And calling yourself a man about town reminds me of Geoffrey Bernard, who was a columnist, I think, for one of the newspapers and was a regular feature of the bars around Soho. And if he were too drunk one afternoon to be able to file in his copy... The column would just say, Jeffrey Bernard is unwell, which I always thought was a lovely expression. So if ever we have a podcast and David isn't here and we say David Lloyd is unwell, everybody will know what we, what's happened. <laughs> so listen, sure. how is your play going? I'm coming to see your play tonight. I'm really it, looking forward to it. Indeed, yes. Now, it will have been and gone by the time this podcast
0: comes out. But yes, I'm currently appearing in a play by Patrick Marber called The Red Lion. It's on at Bristol Old Vic. Uh, it's going very well, thank you. It's pretty much sold out now for the rest of the run. my first time back on stage for 20 years are you enjoying it oh absolutely loving it it's physically hard work I mean let's not kid ourselves it's not working down a pit or anything like that but but uh I'm on stage pretty much all the time uh it's a lot to do physically a lot of lines to learn and it's emotionally quite hard work as well and but I'm absolutely loving it thank you very much but I must just uh, rewind slightly I was talking earlier about pennies and pounds well I got a massive payment today through from my old agent for, uh, there was a series uh, back in the 80s or 90s, I think it probably was called Peak Practice, setting a vet's practice in Derbyshire. Oh, and wow. uh, I had a I had a, a small to medium part in that, uh, just one episode, travelled up to Derbyshire to record it. It was chucking it down with rain. I spent three days stuck in a caravan doing the Guardian crossword with two other actors. I won't name them because I don't want to embarrass them waiting for us to be able to film this thing and then we filmed it we filmed the parts and then I went back home again and then about nine months later I got a call from my agent saying oh peak practice want you to go back and redo the episode that you did and I thought what's happened here and it turned out that these two very well known actors had been cast as major characters in this series and they'd filmed three or four episodes of the whole series and then decided that these two were not working out as characters. So they got rid of them and (laughs) and recast them with somebody else, which meant I then had to go all the way back up to Derbyshire and redo my scene. In the meantime, the entire episode had been rewritten. And what had originally been a fairly interesting and meaty little part ended up with me running along a gantry in a factory, brandishing mobile phone, going, Mick, 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 it's for
2: you. (laughs) Oh, you you still got it, David. You still got it. I still
0: got it. But the (laughs) thing was, I got paid twice for that. I got paid the first time and then I got paid again. But the payment that I got through today was for residuals, uh, because that has been obviously shown again, I suspect, on ITV7 or something like that. 3P. That's what it was. And my agent had not taken a deduction from it. Normally they take 15%. (laughs) <laughs> for repeats and then very kindly waived that so i had a payment directly into my bank for three p so the next time we three meet up uh, the beers are on me
1: i've got a cracking investment idea for that david we'll have a chat afterwards so i'll give you some advice on that three pence
0: right anyway let's
2: move on what's on today's podcast chris Well, I think that's it. Thanks for coming, everybody. (laughs) This was the David Lloyd Story Show. We've got an interview with an old friend of
0: the podcast today, Neil Bage. Ah, good old Neil. We've had a couple of interviews with him, I think, down the years. And of course, he's given us all those fabulous Bages biases.
2: And so what's prompted you to have him on again, Chris? Well, he and I were just chatting. We we regularly catch up, Neil and I. We were talking about social comparison and the harmful effect it can have on our mental health not to mention our financial well-being, and it was so interesting, I said, you know what, we should record this properly, so I booked in for him to me and record a proper chat, so that's what we're going to listen to, uh, Neil and I talking, or mainly Neil, talking about the psychology of social comparison. Brilliant, look
0: forward to that, but before we do, time for the first of our two regular features, and uh, this is the big one, tight-ass Tombo, before we come on to the master himself, Chris, have you got anything?
2: I do actually. I quite like this one. Uh, you know how every few years money gets updated. You and I, David, will remember the old one pound note, for example. Uh, obviously, that's been moved into the pound coin. Have a guess. When did the pound note turn into a pound coin? What year? Oh, I'm going to say. I'm
0: going to say 1996.
1: Well, I, know? I, I, do you know? I can't really remember. I, think they were a thing when I was just about old enough to know they were a thing. So <laughs> when were you born, Tom? Eh?
2: Eighty-seven, and you were one. <laughs> I was, I was
1: one when it. Okay, so nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah, yeah nineteen eighty-eight. Okay, maybe there was some wow. old ones knocking around. I always remember one-pound notes. My knowledge of one-pound notes was only fools and horses. The Dow Boy always had cash to me. He? he was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That, that that's right. One pound notes were a thing. Okay. Well,
0: I used to get a 10 shilling note off my grandparents for uh every birthday, which is like 50p in modern money, and that would last for me all year. <laughs> <laughs> and this folks is when Bill and
1: Ben the flowerpot men were in their prime and it wasn't, doing their thing it, as well. it absolutely
0: was <laughs> oh,
1: Classic me. Classic television. Right. Oh. Oh, Chris, who get the host to get us back on track
2: back back now memory lane with David. <laughs> so money changes regularly fivers and tens obviously used to be paper now they're plastic so the Bank of England recently announced that there are loads of these old notes and coins that have still not been returned you can deposit them in your bank account but you can't use them in shops so if they've not been returned where are they now I reckon they're down the backs of sofas and under the seats of cars right? There are 114 million old five pound notes and 76 million 10 pound paper notes still out there. Along with a whole load of old pound coins, there's a total of 1.4 billion pounds of legal tender out in the country somewhere. So my tight ass tip is this, every time you visit someone else's house, find an excuse to be alone in their front room. Ask them for a glass of water or something, and then whip off all the seats of the sofa and grab all the loose chains and notes that have got to be down there. And then give it to the
1: owner of the house, and it'll be what a wonderful (laughs) friend you are, rather than taking it and putting it in your own pocket.
3: (laughs) Well, whatever.
1: Is not condoning. (laughs) <laughs> stealing money from other people It's not houses. stealing if
2: they didn't know they had it,
0: surely. <laughs> my golf bag and my cricket bag are always the places I go looking if I'm desperate for a bit of a change.
2: Oh, cri- there's always crikey. something floating around yes, there. Yes, so when you're playing cricket, wait till everybody's out on the field and just quickly run in and look through everybody else's bags. <laughs> yeah, that's not dodgy at all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Actually, apart from the illegal aspects of it, very good advice there from Chris. I haven't really got anything apart from, as I say, perhaps... Appear in an episode of a popular 1990s television programme and waiting for the 3P to come in
2: 30 years I, later. I, I think we could we could say, have a long and distinguished acting career. Let's put it that yeah. way.
0: <laughs> All right, then. I like that. That's much better. <laughs> Tombo, Master Tombo, the master of meanness, what have you got for us today?
1: Um, do you know what? I, I'm going to be a little bit... I don't know how do I put this. I'm not going to be particularly funny. I'm really sorry, folks. So, some so would usual, say that usual <laughs>
2: normal <more> service, receiver. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I I can't help notice, and I think we all know. And I think by the time this episode goes out, we you know we'll all still be living in it. Inflation's quite high at the moment, and one of the things that's costing an awful lot of money is uh, our gas and electricity with a lot of hikes. Now, for a great number of people who listen to this, I'm sure they feel some of those increases but it's not going to be a difference between them being able to feed their family or not but there are an awful lot of people out there that I think this is going to have a real impact or is already and are quite financially vulnerable so I was just thinking those listeners who do have a bit of spare cash and are going to be okay by these various rises maybe think about putting your hand in your pocket and helping out some organizations that really get to people who are unfortunately have to make a decision between heating and eating Think of places like the Trussell Trust, which are all about helping to feed people who are less well off. So I guess my tight as Tomo tip, and it kind of feeds into one of the areas of well being that we talk about is community and and helping others and and causes that that mean something to us. Is yeah, have a look and see if you've got a bit of spare cash and try and support those that are really properly feeling the pinch of these price increases. Um. So yeah, I told you it wasn't. It was a bit, a bit downer, but I don't know. I I. It's something that I'm I'm feeling particularly worried
0: about, and we'll be doing something about. So yeah, there you go. Well said, Tomo. Not tight ass at all, actually. But I get where you're coming from, and and it's relevant to this section. Yeah, very important. The trust and trust, particularly uh, that I I do support them, and they do great work around the community. So, yep. Yeah, well done, those of us who are fortunate enough to have had, as Chris describes a long and distinguished acting career with a large break in the middle in my case. Yeah, I think, you know, clearly it's going to be tight for everybody over the next months and years. But if we're in a position to perhaps help out others less fortunate than ourselves, let's do it. Right. okay. let's move on then to the next of our regular features. No shizzle Sherlock, in which we listen to the words of wisdom from a financial or investment guru and wonder whether this is indeed insightful and meaningful advice or whether it's a load of old toot. So, Chris, what's today's inspirational investment insight?
2: Well, David, uh, in keeping with what we're going to be talking about with Neil or listening to with Neil, social media, there's a lot of investment advice out there on social media. TikTok, in particular, has become a real center for so called investment gurus to be dispensing their free wisdom. Uh, yeah, I'm reminded of the line if it's free, then you are the product exactly exactly so where the advice is being given is really trying to get you to use a product that the so-called guru gets paid by so it's actually a form of advertising totally they're totally they're trying to encourage you to use a certain app often uh, and often one that helps you to buy stocks and shares we've talked about bitcoin in the past and in cryptocurrency we're not going to go down that particular avenue but that is a particularly big one
1: yeah I mean, it's something we've touched on before about some of these uh, tiktok gurus but i just think it's really important to remind people of, of, of some of the stuff that's out there. But I think of one particular case or example, you know, there was it was a little while ago now, and they were it was on a TikTok account called at Chad and Jenny. You know, they were a young couple uh, in America, and they make a living from posting stuff about their cool life on TikTok. And in this video, they explained how they supposedly fund this amazing lifestyle. You know, Chad explained that if you want to have a life like theirs, all you need to do is use a certain app of course, pays them, and then buy shares. And then he told the followers that all he does is buy shares, um, wait for it to go up a few days later, sells it and makes a profit.
0: Simple as that. Wow, that's incredible. I could be rich. It's obviously not as simple as that, is it? Because the value of investments can go down as well as up, as we all know. Even I know that. How can they get away with that?
1: Because they aren't regulated by anyone, David. You know, I mentioned innovation at the start of the podcast. We as a firm are regulated, and I as a person am regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority or the FCA for sure. And we can't say things like that. Even if, we, even if we wanted to, we can't say things like that. And you'll notice in this podcast, we try and tread this line when we're giving some some ideas or, or, or some tips. We have to tread very a very fine line. We before you start giving advice, you should know everything about somebody if you're going to give specific investment
2: advice
0: so talking of specifics what is the actual tip that we are assessing here
2: well david i thought i would present an excellent tip that i found from the american humorist will rogers back in 1929 he had a great investment tip he said buy stocks that go up if they don't go up then don't buy them (laughs) well
0: that is definitely a no shizzle sherlock and there's another word there's
1: another saying that comes to mind free advice is worth every penny you pay for it so be very careful of investment tips and advice that you see
0: on social media indeed and bearing in mind that this wonderful podcast to which you are listening is entirely free at the point it is entirely
1: free so yeah
0: (laughs) so So, you can listen to what we say or you might just go well they're just rambling off again about their sad old lives but We'll leave that one up to you, viewers. And, I, and, and
1: for my compliance department, we give ideas, not advice.
0: <laughs> Indeed Ideas,
1: we do. not advice, folks.
0: Suggestions. <laughs> Suggestions. Potential possible courses
1: of action. Musings for you to consider.
0: <laughs> right, enough of our musings. Let's now get on to somebody that really knows what he's talking about.
2: Neil Beige, Chris, over to you. So Neil Bage is an expert in behavioural science, which is the study of why we do the things we do. He served as chief behavioural officer for a financial planning firm, founder of an award-winning behavioural technology business. He's presented to thousands of business professionals around the world on subjects like human evolution, human biology and behavioural psychology. I'd also like humbly to consider him a friend, and I think he's ace. So let's have a listen to my chat with Neil
3: Bage. Neil, thank you again for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm well I'm really honored to be repeat guest invited back I'm I'm very
2: excited you're the only guest to be invited back third time but of course you also had all your pages biases which were really really well received so thank you for all your support oh you are welcome more than welcome So this chat with us was was triggered by a presentation you gave to the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing Roundtable for members, where you gave a little 20-minute presentation on social comparison. And it was so powerful, I thought our listeners in general should hear about it. So why don't you open up by just explaining what we mean by this term social comparison?
3: What a broad opening question that is. So social comparison is kind of and I hate to use this phrase, but it's kind of what it says on the tin. It's how we look around our social networks. I don't mean digitally, I just mean our human social networks. And we compare ourselves to other people, but equally, we can compare ourselves to them, or we can compare them to us. And it's a kind of a a well-established theory. But actually, if you look at it as from a human perspective, you know, our brain's Social cognition network can be traced all the way back to an evolutionary need to protect ourselves, to assess threats. To is he building a better cave? Is he a better hunter? So it's not a new thing. I was going to say, is this is this new because of
2: social media? No, it's it's been around for millennia.
3: It's been around since we kind of crawled out of trees and became a bipedal species, meaning we walked around on two legs, which can be traced back to three and a half million years at at the earliest. You know, so um it's a it's very much a human trait to compare ourselves to other people but it wasn't really until in the 50s when a a guy called Leon Festinger basically came up with what's known as social comparison theory and the world started to kind of take more notice of what it is and its impact
2: so there's that famous phrase which I quote often because it's just so pithy I think it was uh, Roosevelt that said at first comparison is the thief of joy so we're in that space I assume are we
3: well, we kind of are, yeah, Chris, but I think that that statement kind of looks at social comparison as if it's a one-sided kind of human trait, and that's not strictly true. So if I jump into the work of Leon Festinger and kind of tell you in a summarized way what he came up with, you get to see that there's two sides to the story. So when we compare ourselves in the context of social comparison, there's two ways we do this, which, are, if we use the correct terminology, are upwards social comparison and downwards social comparison upwards means that you are better than me okay so i look at you and i think chris is better than me at whatever fill in the blank well, that's very wise of you neil but let's not be- <laughs> let's not exactly don't you know make your head bigger than it already is um downwards social comparison is where i feel i look at you and i think i am better than you at fill in the blank now if you kind of think of these as two pillars, so upwards social comparison, you're better than me, downwards social comparison, I'm better than you. What we tend to do is look at the negative traits, but there are positives as well in, in those two pillars, if you like. So let's just stick with one just for a second. If we do the upwards, that where, where I look at you and I think you're better than me. Now, the way that the world talks about it typically is in a negative way. And upwards social comparison can elicit feelings of envy or self criticism so i look at you and think oh my god he's amazing why aren't i like that i'm rubbish i haven't got the skills like he has and i can start telling myself a whole bunch of stories that are really negative and quite damaging to the, to the self that's the negative side but when you look at upward social comparison in the positive it actually can trigger feelings of inspiration and motivation so i look at you and think i want to be like chris i want to do that oh my god he he's amazing at that i want to learn how to be like that. And it can motivate me to become a better person. So it's not only the negative side.
2: Even that, though, has got danger, hasn't it? Because if I compare myself with um, Paul McCartney, you know, one of my heroes, and I think, great, I want to be like Paul McCartney. Well, I can never be like Paul McCartney. So actually, that could be setting myself up for a life of disappointment. Uh, So even, even that can be negative if it doesn't work out, can't it?
3: No, that's true, but that's actually about benchmarking yourself to something realistic, right? And it's about it's about setting your goal, which is uh, the art of smart, which is realistic. So, does Paul McCartney inspire me to play the guitar? Absolutely. Is he better than me? Absolutely. Will I ever be like Paul McCartney? Probably not. But does that mean I can't be motivated and inspired to learn the guitar? No, I can still be inspired and motivated every day to strive to be the best I can at playing the guitar, knowing I will never be a, a McCartney or a Clapton or a, I'm going to name Joan Armour Trading because she's my guitar hero, actually. But um,
2: <laughs> I just want to stick on this for a second because I can see, I absolutely see your point. There's positives and negatives, but I can see so many more negatives in it. So, for example, I share with you something that was said to me by a friend of mine when we were 15. Friend Dave, uh, great guy, lovely bloke. Uh, but at the age of 15, we were sat on the school bus and he'd recently discovered his first love of music, which was Led Zeppelin. And mm-hmm. At the age of 15, I always remember him saying to me, Chris, he said, I don't think I'll listen to any more music. I said, really, Dave, why is that? He said, well, what's the point? Now I've heard Led Zeppelin, there's no point in listening to anything else. (laughs) Mm, At the age of of 15, but and he kind of tried to play the guitar, but he never really bothered because he couldn't be Jimmy Page. So it actually put him off in a
3: way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I completely get that. If you haven't got a a fine-tuned understanding of yourself and your own limitations there's also Chris, another conversation we should have at some point maybe is about the difference between expectations and reality you know your friend had stupidly high expectations of himself which weren't born out in the reality of him learning the guitar right and, and actually when we have an imbalance between expectation and reality it, it can cause a whole world of pain well, so really, it's a really under- interesting
2: point yeah we're going to come on to to apply this to our financial decisions of course which is the whole point of this so i just set that as a context because anyone listening yeah. will i'm sure hear that idea of expectations not matching reality and financial expectations we can see how that could come together but i've interrupted you enough new you carry on
3: now um i forgot i mean i'm sorry i was distracted by your story of when you were 15 just <laughs> thinking 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 how amazing your memory is um you're anyway. going to talk about the downwards <laughs> expected <laughs> downwards comparison i was so so downward comparison just as a reminder is when i think i'm better than you now in a negative sense that could elicit feelings of you know pity and scorn if you like, you know, I kind of look at you and pity you for not being as as good as me. But equally in the positive, it can elicit feelings of gratitude. And I can be thankful that actually all the work I've put in has, has made me, you know, good at something. And yes, I accept there'll be people who won't be as good as me, but I couldn't I can be if I'm appreciative of the journey I've been on, have gratitude and it can give me opportunity to teach because now i've become an expert in something and people could do with learning what i've learned so i could pass on my skills in the hope that they will also be upskilled and become better people so to summarize this point chris you know the work of leon festinger kind of when we talk about social comparison it it is often talked about in the negative but like anything in life there's a yin and yang right we need to also look because we'll find positives in all of these theories that we're talking about here you know know thyself I can think of negative aspects of really getting to know myself I can think of many positives there's always that yin and yang and and if we go through life only focusing on one side of the story i.e mainly the negative then actually we we kind of do ourselves a disservice because we fail to spot that there is also goodness in here too
2: And, and so the message from this section really is it's about how you react to these things isn't it it's 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 our choice what we think of ourselves what we think of other people so let's let's now take that that and and let's let's just magnify and or expand it to to being something that happens a bit to with the advent of social media something Mm. that happens all the time constantly around us
3: Uh, which is comparing ourselves to the joneses it's shoved in in our our faces
2: shoved in our faces constantly, isn't it? Because of Facebook and, and, and social media and the point you're making, the picture of the baby. Perhaps you would just explain that picture that you had in, in that talk because I think that yeah. that highlighted it absolutely beautifully.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, you, you know, we, the world we live in, you know, social comparison is inevitable, right? It, 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 we, we've just talked about how very briefly, I would say, you know, it's a human trait that goes all the way back kind of to, to our roots as a species. So comparison is inevitable, but social media amplifies it more than ever before. And, and the problem that we kind of have with social media is all you're ever seeing is somebody else's highlights, real, of their life. You know, it, it paints a heavily skewed picture of their social universe. They only share their peak experiences or flattering news. They show us a narrow and distorted part of their reality. And the thing that is most damaging more than anything is it's a perfectly constructed environment by the person. They construct what we want to see, when we want to see it, and how we want to see it. And the picture I showed in the talk was I I, I had a screen where there was a multitude of kind of Instagram snapshots on the screen. And the title of the screen and a phrase I've used many times is living in a cropped existence. And I ask people to look at the pictures. And the question I ask is, what is the picture hiding? Not what is it showing us, but what is it hiding? And there's a picture I use of a baby crawling on the floor, playing with a tractor. Everything looks beautiful. And the little catchphrase, you know, hashtag baby and all of this, you know, happy life. And you look at the picture and you go, ah, look how cute that is. But then what I do is I take away the filter. I take away the crop. And sitting next to the baby crawling on the floor is a picture of a young mother who's pretty much having a nervous breakdown. And the problem we have is we look at these snapshots, these cropped images, and we assume that everything is rosy in the garden. And sometimes, in fact, many times, that is just not the case at all. You know, So we need to kind of stop and consider... That a lot of our online activity is comparing ourselves to other people's curated and edited highlights reel, and that can be really damaging.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so just as a slight aside, on the odd occasion, um, I've posted. I did one just the other day, actually, working from home, as so many of us have been over the last few years, um, and I've been doing it a few years before that. So, this cabin I'm currently standing in, I've been in this you know, 90% of my working day for about four years now. And I love it, but there are days when you get a little bit stir crazy. And Mm. um, I posted something the other day, which just said, I'm struggling today. I'm not having a good day. Uh, I just on Twitter, Um, I would really love to just have a meeting with other people. Uh, Today's not a good day. And I had loads of people come to me and say, so glad you said that. I have days like that yeah. too. So actually, yeah. if we do share our struggles a little bit, people do react to it. But of course, that's not your point because that's not what we tend to do. But I guess that's just a message out there for our listeners to say, you yeah, know, please do um, reach out when you're struggling a little bit because everybody else is going through the same thing. But listen, absolutely. Let's, let's now turn our attention then to mm. how might this lead to poor financial decisions this only seeing other people's dream state this the highlights reel really, as you call it how could this yeah. lead us making bad financial decisions
3: well i mean the the first area that it affects is when we um are goal planning with clients you know when we say to people okay look we're going to sit down we're going to talk about your financial plan and what i want to what we what we'd like to explore are your Dreams, your aspirations, your goals, what you want, what you want to do when you retire, whatever that word means, and you know, and and what people do is they typically do one of two things: they look back into their memory at events and experiences that they loved, and they carry them forward into the future. You know, one of the things I've often said is that humans are the only species who can kind of affect our temporal timeline by we can do time travel in essence. Within a split second, I can ask you, Chris, to go back in time memory and i can ask you to go forward into the future imagination and we are the only species that can do this on the flip of a coin right i we can go back to when we were 15 talk to our friend about led zeppelin and we can think about our future sitting on a beach in jamaica with a guitar and a bottle of wine playing guitar on a beach with your wife right is that you promised me is that going to be in my future I don't know. I don't even know why I think that's your dream, um, but I just kind of think it's what it, it might be. Knowing you, it's close. Um, it's maybe close. Yep, yep. Maybe a bottle of rum. I don't know. Um, but what we do? So we do these two things: we either use our memory to to give us a, a framework for what we want to do in the future, or we look to other people for inspiration, and we look at what other people are doing and what they've done, and we go, "Oh, that looks amazing. I want to do that." Without appreciating or stopping to think. I'm seeing a cropped existence. I'm seeing what they want me to see. And therefore, can I take that on face value? So it, so they flipped flip that into the question you asked me. If I'm thinking about big, important financial decisions, and I've never made a decision like this in the past, yes, I can take my financial planner's advice. Yes, of course, I can. That's why I'm there. But I would also just naturally look to other people and what they've done. I'd speak to my friends. Have you, ever, have you ever done any retirement planning? Have you ever invested in stocks and shares, et cetera, et cetera? So it's a natural human inclination to kind of draw wisdom from the crowd, our crowd in this example being our closest friends. And, and what we are doing is we are going through a variation of social comparison to figure out what others have done to give us a framework to make a financial decision for ourselves. And un, unless we, unless we dig... Properly, unless we peel the onion properly and get to the heart of why they did what they did, then all we're doing is we're making a decision for ourselves that's based on somebody else's life, and that that is just, a, in my humble opinion, a recipe for disaster further down the down the line.
2: There's two particular examples that come to mind as you're talking, Neil. One is the you mentioned the investment piece, especially people who manage their own stocks and shares, their own investments. And yeah. you very very rarely hear somebody like that tell you about the uh, the the share that they bought that went down 30% the next day you only ever hear when they invested in something and it was the most fantastic that you could bitcoin being the obvious example to that um you don't hear of the, of the money lost you only hear of the money won don't you
3: and, and that's because going back to what i said probably about 5 minutes back social media everybody's everybody's highlights real. all they do is share peak experiences and flattering news they never say just invested all my money in Bitcoin and lost a lot, damn it, they don't do that. They go, I just put my money in Bitcoin and made a lot of money. And that's a lot of, you know, that social comparison kind of sitting around that is they don't want to see, they don't want to come across as embarrassed or looking stupid or looking ill-informed. They'd rather just not tell anybody that they're suffering than kind of go, I've done this. What did you think I did wrong? Is there anything I can do to make myself better in the future, et cetera, et cetera? There's, there's one example, Chris, if I can, about financial decisions and how social comparison has a absolute kind of cast iron grip on us when we're when we're trying to navigate the money world if you like there's a very famous research question and i've asked this question so many times and friends of mine in behavioral psychology have asked this question so many times and is it when we can do it now always... live is it when we can do live we can do it live of course we go ahead of course we can okay so this is for you and all of your all of the listeners and you've got to answer the question honestly, right? You can't pretend. You whatever your gut tells you, just go with it, and we can dissect the answer in a sec.
2: Neil, so you know me question. well enough. You know me well enough by now. I have no choice but to answer everything honestly, whether I mean. I
3: know that. I know that. <laughs> um, so here's the question, and it's you've we, only got one or two choices. Okay. Would you rather earn one hundred thousand pounds a year in a community? where the average salary is 50,000 pounds or 250,000 pounds a year in a community where the average salary is half a million. Right. So Uh, yes, there's all all sorts of kind of micro and macro issues that you could think about cost of living, blah, blah, blah. But I want you to answer this question just on face value. Well, Without face, trying to be too clever about
2: yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so listeners, so one hundred thousand salary for me, but everybody, all my friends are on fifty or two hundred fifty thousand yeah, yeah. salary for me, but everybody else is on five hundred. I mean, on, on the face of that, my gut feeling would be to take the one hundred thousand because if I'm living in an area where there is on, on fifty thousand, I'm going to be able to have more stuff, and I'm going to have yeah. more earnings than other people. So that would be my gut feeling.
3: Yep. Yeah. Answered like a financial planner, by the way. <laughs> you know, because as most financial planners go, oh, well, if it is £50,000, that means, therefore, that the socio-demographic environment... Is... No, 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 no. Just look at the numbers and just tell me what your gut is. And what most people's gut reaction to this question is, is they would rather earn more than other people.
2: Yeah, so I've taken the Easy. lower salary so that I'll earn yeah. more than other people, haven't I?
3: Yeah, and it's completely bonkers. If you think about it logically, it's completely irrational to think like that. Because if you went for option two... You would be earning an additional one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year, which would afford you and your family to do a whole bunch of other experiences together and create, you know, joyful times together. Irrespective of what anybody else is doing, who cares what anybody else is doing? That doesn't shouldn't affect your life. And if you have the ability to live a happier, more fulfilled experiential life then you should do whatever that takes. And in this example, it should be taking the higher salary and who gives a monkey's what anybody else is earning.
2: I walk straight into your trap, Beige, damn you.
3: (laughs) That's that's another podcast feature, Beige (laughs) Traps.
2: (laughs) So look... there's a couple of things I want to just finish off with or we'll get on to before we finish. One of them, you, you teed me up nicely because you know how much I don't like the idea of goals or I, I I rail against the word goals because they're finite. And one of the things that that, that put me in mind of at the beginning of uh, lockdown last year. So uh, kind of March, April time, 2020. I saw a few tweets from people who, and it was along the lines of, in the bubonic plague, Sir Isaac Newton discovered gravity. What are you going to do in lockdown? and i i remember thinking there's something wrong with that but i can't quite put my finger on it i think you probably have haven't you
3: (laughs) yeah and again yeah i I mean it's just people comparing other people to or themselves to other people or other people to how everybody else should behave and how everybody else should think and it's just a it's just a recipe for disaster you know and i i think goals is an interesting word chris and my good friend Brian Portnoy, I know you've talked to Brian before. He he does a lot of talks around anti-goals, talking how how financial planners should talk to their clients about what they don't want. We always talk about what they want, but never about what they don't want. And actually, both of those conversations are as equally as important as each other. And one of the things by doing that, we can we allow a client to talk about their their dreams and their aspirations based on things that they've learned that didn't work out quite as well as they would have hoped, whereas just talking about the positive side, if you like, kind of again paints a bit of a highlights reel for the direction that people want to head. So we just need to be careful with goals. It's a I know you use a phrase that I've stolen many times. You know goals are finite. When you get there, then what? Um, I've always I've always remembered you saying that, and it's such a powerful statement because it's true. Whereas our dreams. And our aspirations of life are ever changing; they're ever moving. You know, they mold with us as we age and as we experience the world. Whereas saying, "I want to retire when I'm 61 and I want to live in this," or it's like when you're 61 and you're living there, and you go, "Well, what do you do now? You've got another 30 years left, mate. What are you now? What are you going to do?" Just I, mean, just, I mean, we always dream; we're always dreaming, and we're always aspiring to be better and do great things. And that's what we should focus on because they're the things that are so um emotionally driven that they're the things that make us get out of bed on the morning so you know and as long as that i'll I'll wrap up by saying as long as they are our dreams and our aspirations and they aren't being fueled by somebody else's highlights real
2: yeah there's a lot of stuff you see from motivational speakers the tony robbins types of this world which go on about goals and achieving this mm. and having targets and goals. I find it all rather exhausting. Sometimes I just want to, want to be able to get up for breakfast and that'll do,
3: you know. <laughs> so um, it's not, it is not. knackery. And it's like, right, yeah, you're going to have a goal today to walk across hot coals and then you go, brilliant, then what? Then you're going to have soft feet for three weeks. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, come on. Then you've got a new goal, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> then you've spend your aching feet. Um, so so look, that, the,
2: uh, that know thyself phrase that you use, that's what we've always talked about within the Financial well-being book, and the podcast, and also one of the five um, pillars of well-being, uh, financial well-being, is a clear path to identifiable objectives, which regular listeners of this podcast will know when we drill down on that, we mean intrinsic motivations. And that means what's true to you not what's put into you by comparisons from social media. So I wanted to end with how we could overcome these social comparisons to make better financial decisions. But maybe I think we maybe we've just been there, have we? Have we just have we just inadvertently stumbled upon the
3: answer? I think we have. I think we have. It's it's a it really is Chris a a process of sitting down and going, right, look, so let me give you my example, right? It's me and Sandy, my wife and our little dog Archie. There's the three of us. That's our little family unit. And when we make decisions, what we do, and, and this is, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, and it's taken me a while to figure this out, if I'm being honest. And I've studied human behavior for a long, long time. And it's only recently, I guess, I've, I've landed on this. It's sitting down and going, do you know what? I don't care anymore what anybody else is doing. I don't care what anybody else is thinking. Me and Sandy and our little dog, Archie, that is my world. Everything that I hold dear, everything that I get up and I live my life for is in that little tiny unit. So therefore, every decision I make has to exclusively benefit that unit. And if it doesn't, then we kind of don't do it. And what I did, I, I stopped using social media. I'm on Twitter and I'm on um LinkedIn. I've never ever been on Facebook. I hate social media with a passion. I think it's I think it at, at best it's toxic Um, and, and you know it's yeah I don't spend my time there and but I I could quite easily imagine if I did I would be suckered into what everybody else is doing and think that that's what I want so I've learned to immunize myself from the outside world to a degree and when I'm making a decision about my happiness about how I can be content I think about me Sandy and Archie and make decisions exclusively based on that and hopefully the outcomes of my decisions lead me to a more content life.
2: That is wonderful advice, Neil. Absolutely wonderful advice. My, my social media place is Twitter. I don't do Facebook either. Uh, mm. But on Twitter, the important thing is to make sure you curate your Twitter experience. So, yes. Um, and I do it in two ways. One, there's certain people who are very negative, and so I muted them, and suddenly my life was already better. But the other thing I found the other day, and this is just this just goes to show that even though us smarty pants uh, who know all the theory, we still do it ourselves. I was on Twitter the other day, not feeling my best in the morning, and I saw that a couple of people were doing a conference, were speaking at a conference, and I started thinking, why wasn't I invited to speak to that conference? I'd be really good (laughs) speaking at that conference. And then I felt really in a fug for a couple of hours, until I suddenly went, hit myself over the head, went, what are you talking about? You were talking at other conferences, just because somebody's talking at one, and i suddenly realised that I'd just fallen straight back into the trap again.
3: It's so easy. It is so, so easy to fall into the trap. And and I have to be really careful, consciously careful when I'm on Twitter of not just kind of, because you're like me, right? You look at something and you go, oh, I've got to reply to that. And you hit reply to tweet and you type something and then you read it and you just delete it because you go, actually, I don't want to do this. Mm. I don't, I don't want to engage in this conversation because it's negative, it's damaging. I, I, yes, I have an opinion, but you know what? I'm going to keep that opinion to myself because that's all it is. It's an opinion. Yeah. And all it's going to do is pour fuel on the fire. And you know what? An excuse. Oh, I, I must ask the excuse of all your listeners for what I'm about to say, but I can't be asked. Mm. Yeah, I really can't. It's just, and, it's just kind of. And and do, it drains, drains you. But it,
2: that's that's the thing. It's not so much you can't be asked, You know that it will have a negative impact on your energy levels. That's the thing.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah, um, yeah. So look, let's just wrap this up then with with a, with bringing this together. So you've you've explained where social comparison comes from, how it can lead to poor financial decisions. There's nothing wrong with making comparisons per se, as long as you're very much aware of the negative
3: impact it could have on you. Is that a reasonable way to summarise it? That's a. Absolute perfect reasonable way to summarize it. And if you want to read more about social comparison and get to understand how ancient it is, there's two places you can look. The book of Genesis <laughs> in the Holy Bible, um, Genesis 37, is the story of Joseph and his amazing technical dream coat. Oh, very Quite best example of envy and social comparison. And of course, Shakespeare's um, Othello is peppered with um, social comparison and. Yago and a conversation where the phrase the green-eyed monster of envy came in is um all it all wraps up into this th- this kind of theory that yeah. we shouldn't be looking at to others for um to as the benchmark for our happiness we are utterly and absolutely in control of that ourselves so now that you've just
2: finished this with uh two fantastic intellectual, well-read, <laughs> cultural uh, comparisons. We'll leave everybody on that note because they'll all be thinking that we're really clever people. So let's leave them comparing us to really clever people. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it. Thanks, <laughs> Neil. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Fascinating and
0: insightful stuff from the pair of you as ever. tobo anything to say about that?
1: Um, other than I just find everything that Neil says absolutely fascinating. I, I found it quite interesting that this idea that comparison is the thief of joy but only if you look at it in a certain way there is a way in which you can use comparison in a positive way and and i think that's that was quite an insightful comment because we only ever look at the the negative connotations but i must admit i i'm not a million miles away from neil's opinions of some social media apps that's for sure
2: the danger can be of course that, that a lot of people don't use social media at all anymore And I think I I made the point in the interview that social media is fantastic, but you do need to curate it. You don't want to just go on Facebook and see everybody telling you how wonderful their lives are, because that, as Neil calls it, it, is a cropped existence. But I work hard at my Twitter experience to make sure I get rid of not dis- disagreeing voices. I love those. It's the unpleasant people that I don't want to have in my life. So uh, once I worked on that, it's great. So so I, I don't think not having social media is necessarily a great answer. It's not for you. It's not for you. But I get loads of ideas from it. I'm, so I, I personally, I love it. But um, yeah, cu- curating your life, really, isn't it?
1: Well that's yeah. a really interesting point. So sorry, David, because I'm about to say something about the curating. If you think about the way we live our lives, ignoring social media. So we think about the friends we built up over the years, the fam- certainly family. Definitely disagree with family. You know, you're stuck with them whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, but you it's okay to disagree with friends. You all have different opinions. I found over the years, I don't really have the miserable folk who drag me down, and why have them in your social media lives? I think it's really important to have people who don't share all of the opinions that you have. I think it's quite good to be challenged as a person sometimes. Um, but yeah, definitely the Debbie Downers. Um, yeah, I'm with you all the way there.
0: Yeah, very true indeed. Very true. I remember when uh, when I first started off on Twitter, around right about the same time as you, I think, Chris. Uh, it was generally a sort of fun and joyous place, and then it gradually became more and more poisonous. And so, like you, I started to curate quite carefully what my own Twitter experience was going to be. And and anybody that that came on there just spreading harm and hurtfulness and hate, I just don't engage with them. And I think if you could be selective about what you do, then I think there is a place for it in you, life. Anyway,
2: literally, but, you literally choose who you follow. You know, that's yeah. how it works. Yeah. <laughs> that's what
1: you do in life.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is yeah, the thing. That's that's what you do
1: it. in life. You, you don't hang around with people who have that have that who do
0: that. So why
1: would was you a company
0: excluded or included? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so this I is once, this uh, is unfortunately a forced endeavor, but sure.
0: Yeah. I once uh, I once voiced an opinion on the moral integrity of the current prime minister or at least the current prime minister at the time of this recording uh, only to be uh, met uh, by somebody on Twitter who told me he was the best prime minister we'd ever had. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I stopped following that bloke.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> that I did say it's happy project, to have people who disagree <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. We're going to have danger of straying into the world of politics, which is not what this uh, podcast is all about. Thank you very much, Chris, for that really insightful interview with Neil. Thanks to you, Tomo, as well as ever, for producing the programme, for the great contributions that you've made. And thanks to you all at home for listening, and I hope you'll join us again the next time we do another one of these financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast, and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial wellbeing. You can send us an email at contact at beingcouk you can follow us on Twitter, at FinnWellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing podcast. More interesting than you might
3: think.